0: Hello, and welcome to the podcast for Neighborhood Church. This message, titled High Impact Leaders, was given by Larry Vold and was the second in our series, Transformational Church, churches that produce transformed people. Hey, if you haven't already done so, turn your cell phones off. Let's get ready. Find your sermon outline. Uh, let's open our Bibles to the book of 1 Thessalonians, or whatever you've got, smartphone, Kindle, whatever you've got that has a Bible on it, iPad, and let's get there. First Thessalonians chapter 2, actually, chapter 2, you'll find that on page 1838 if you're using that book rack Bible in front of you. We're in a series we are calling Transformational Church, and it's all about life transformation through following Christ, but this series is begging the question, what kind of churches produce environments where life transformation happens? It's a really important question because a lot of us in our Christian journey become very individualistic. We think about life transformation, we just think about us, and we really forget that the way God has designed us to be transformed, and I'm arguing this point throughout this entire series, that the way God transforms us, at least in part, and it's a big part, is through the local church. Now, I'm not saying you can't be a Christian if you're not in a local church, but if you are in a local, if you're not in a local church and you call yourself a Christian, you're really an incomplete individual because God's design for life transformation is through being a part of the local church. Listen, believing is essential to salvation, but belonging is essential to life transformation. Do you get that? Believing is to salvation what belonging is to life transformation. If we're not connected with others in the body of Christ, we're just incomplete as Christ followers. And that's why here at Neighborhood Church, we believe in life transformation through following Christ, but we believe it's in the context of the local church is where that happens. And I know I'm preaching in the choir because you're here, right? Okay? But there's a lot of folks that are not here, and there's reasons for that. We said last week, some people have terrible experiences when they come into the local church, and they're just afraid. I think people are so leery. You might be a guest with us today and you're, you're sort of wondering what's going to happen to you today. And you're sort of not sure. There's a lot of trepidation that people have. And I think we forget that. We see people come through our outreaches and scores of people trust in Jesus Christ because the gospel is so attractive. But then they find their way into a local church, and sometimes what seems or what would hope to be so attractive isn't all that attractive. In fact, it's a little bit repelling. I remember uh, a while back when we used to have a guest reception. Now we just kind of collect out there at at, uh, Connection Central. But we had a little guest reception area, and I'll never forget one couple. They were standing sort of in the corner as the other guests were standing there, and I was introducing our ministry, and and then we had a little fellowship time, and and this couple walked up to me, and and, uh, I began to talk to them, and I could just tell they were a little leery, and they said, "Uh, Pastor, we just have a question. Um, We're just wondering, the last church we visited, uh, within the first week of being there, a pastor and some leaders showed up at our house, and they wanted to see our W-2s so they could determine how much we should give financially to the church. And we just want to know, is this what's going to happen here? I said, oh, that doesn't happen till the first month. That does just, <laughs> I just had to do that. They were like, you know. I said, are you kidding me? I mean, when I, I've heard all kinds of stories, but that one is way up there on sort of the the cringe factor, as I would call it, when people attend a church. Now, sometimes it's little things. Sometimes it's like people being careless with their time, coming in late to churches, uh, letting their cell phones ring, 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 ring during a service. I mean, that turns people off too. Talking, chattering, not showing respect to certain things. There's lots of things that kind of turn people off. And you know what another thing that turns people off to local churches? are pastors. That's right. The number one reason, statistically, people leave a church is because they're not connecting with the pastor of the church. There's not a, a sense of this, under, this person understands me, understands my spiritual journey, understands where I need to be, I relate to this person, I understand. There's teaching, there's the authority of scripture and all of that, and people are just, they're so gun shy. They've been through so many different things. So I have a real heart for any of you that might have had those bad experiences, And in a church this size with this many people in the service today, I'm sure a number of us have had difficult trying situations in a local church. And we came here, maybe we wanted to just come here and be invisible and just sort of be, we call folks like that exiles, you know. They come from other churches, they've been hurt, they've been burned, and they just want to sit and they want to kind of heal up on some things and I understand that, we understand that here at Neighborhood Church but eventually we hope and pray you'll heal up and realize that uh, there's things to do here for you too. There are in this service, I'm sure there are people that have served as pastors in other churches. I'm not talking about our pastors, I'm talking about people that have been pastors in other churches who have been hurt too. Who've had terrible things happen to their lives and they come to a church like neighborhood church hoping that there's a, a place of rest, a place of refurbishment in their own spirit. And and let's just bottom line, why is it that churches have problems? Why is it that people have negative experience in the local church? I'll tell you why. You know why? Look around. There are people in the local church. And wherever there's people, there's going to be potential conflict, there's going to be disagreements, There're going to be things that don't go the way. We don't all think alike, we don't all uh, uh, have the same uh, uh, preferences, and so things cross us, we don't like, we get easily offended. Oh man, it just goes on and on. But here... In the book of 1 Thessalonians, we, we're learning about what it means to be a transformational church, and last week we started this series by saying that transformational churches have members whose faith in Jesus Christ is real and contagious. So transformational churches have tons of folks, maybe not everybody, but the, the broad brushstroke of the membership are people who are Excited on fire for Jesus Christ. Are you this morning? Because if you're not, you can't contribute to neighborhood church being a transformational church. It's only as you get fired up in your own relationship with Christ that you have a part in becoming, a, 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 a helping this church to be transformational. Now today we're going to take it to the next step and we're going to learn that today transformational churches have leaders who are worthy of imitation, whose lives are worthy of imitation. Today we're going to pop the hood on the leadership of the church, on the pastoral leadership of the church. You're going, all right. Yeah, this passage has a lot to say about me, about our pastoral staff here today, about anyone who considers themselves to be a leader in the church. And so we want to learn about all of that today. Let's take our Bibles then and take a look at 1st Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. In honor of God's word, would you stand with me as we read this out loud together? Okay, here we go. You know, brothers, that our visit to you was not a failure We had previously suffered and been insulted in Philippi, as you know, but with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in spite of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as men approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please men, but God who tests our hearts." You know we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from men, nor from you or anyone else. As apostles of Christ, we could have been a burden to you, but we were gentle among you like a mother caring for her little children. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you had become so dear to us. Surely you remember, brothers, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order to not be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and and urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory now, Lord, let the reading of your scripture and the teaching of this passage strengthen us, give us a better vision for what leaders ought to be and those we choose to follow in our Christian lives. And I pray, O oh God, that you would speak powerfully and if there's anyone that needs a relationship with you, let the gospel be heard in this message, I pray. And we ask these things in Jesus' name and everyone said again, amen. amen. Thank you, you may be seated. All right. I see in this passage six qualities to look for in leaders that we choose to follow in our lives. We should be very discerning about the leaders we choose to follow. Leaders have impact. Sometimes the impact is negative. Hopefully in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ the impact is, is positive. I want you to notice here, first of all, that Paul points out that these things ought to be recognizable within the church very easily. And what struck me when I studied this passage was that four times Paul uses the word to know. He says it four times. See it there in verse 1. He says it again in verse 2, verse 5, and verse 11. He says, you know this stuff. You know this stuff. In fact, in verse 1, it's the emphatic you. It's autois in the Greek. It's you, yourselves, know. This is something that is intuitive to you as followers of Christ. He didn't have to beg the argument. He didn't have to try to put a lot of proof text up there. He just says, you know. And then he says in verse 9, he says, you remember. And in verse 10, he says, you are witnesses to these things. So what I'm showing you right off the bat is that all of this stuff should really come easily to members, to people who attend a church, whether or not their leaders really are these things. You should know that by personal experience, not by advertisement, not by propaganda. It should come intuitively in your own spirit. Now, why would Paul talk about this issue? Um, Just backing up a little bit as to, if you weren't here last week, a little background to the text, on Paul's second missionary journey, he's traveling with uh, him with Silas and Timothy, and they come to a little town called Philippi. And in Philippi, they run into a buzzsaw trouble, and Paul and Silas end up being thrown in jail. Uh, verses 22 through 24 of chapter 16 of Acts say that Paul and Silas were severely beaten, stripped, and then they were flogged by the Roman magistrate there in that city, and they were thrown in jail. And it's an amazing to think about. How how this turmoil would have left them, and yet uh, the brothers in Philippi said, "We got to get you out of here." They moved them on. They so Paul and Silas left Philippi. Timothy probably stayed behind. He then went on to a place called Derby and Lystra before they came to Thessalonica. And in Thessalonica, the same thing happened. All kinds of problems erupted. Uh, They were staying at a guy's house named Jason and Jason was kind of thrown before the authorities and it wasn't long until actually Paul and Silas left Thessalonica and Paul ends up in a place called Corinth and it wasn't until he got to Corinth that he meets up again with Timothy. Timothy on his way from Philippi to Corinth goes through Thessalonica and while he's there uh, he's, he's catching a little wind of some of the opposition that are saying that, Paul and the other leaders uh, might not be in this thing called the ministry for the right motives. Now, unlike the book of 1 Corinthians where Paul is defending his apostleship, he doesn't do that in Thessalonians. In the book of Thessalonians, he's really referring more to sort of this flavor of opposition that was there in that city, but he knew, Paul knew, that the church knew his motives. They knew, they knew by his example, just exactly the kind of character that he had. And that's what I'm trying to point out to you. This was not a sell job that he had to give. This was simply, as it was mentioned, he would be saying, you know this, you know this, you know this. Okay, so what are the things we should know about leaders in the church? Pastors, People who teach, people who are sort of have that cloak or mantle of leadership. First of all, I find in verse 1 that transformational churches have candid leaders. Write that down, candid leaders. What I mean by candid, and we all know what the word candid means, although when I grew up, I thought candid meant secretive because I I grew up in the era 50s and 60s where a favorite television show was Candid Camera. Do you remember that show? And so I always thought of candid being something secretive. The camera was hidden and people were put in these weird experiences. And really the idea was, remember the catchphrase of that show, smile, you're on candid camera. It was a long show. Alan Funt, I think, was the, the host and producer of that show. But the point of this little illustration is that candid means frank. It means honest. It means truthful. It means sincere. It means what you see is what you get. When when I'm in the moment where the camera is on me and I don't know who's watching me, this is the person that I am. And of course, this is a really important lesson for all of us: is that in, in Christ, as as people who follow Jesus, it's not how we behave at church that matters. It's not the kind of the airs that we put on when we are around God's people. It's it's where we it's who we are wherever we are. Uh, interview people in your neighborhood. How is that guy? How is that? person that lives down the street from you who calls themselves a Christian, much less a Christian leader. That's really important. And frankly, it scares me half to death because I know wherever I go and being around this community for the last 30 years and serving in a great church like Neighborhood Church, wherever I go, I know I'm probably going to bump into people that know who I am. And so it's sort of a built-in accountability issue as to the kind of life that I live, It's really important, but we all need to think this way. So Paul says, you yourselves know, he says that our visit to you was not a failure. Now, what did they know? He he knew, they knew that his visit to them was not a failure. Now, the NIV translates the word, the Greek word kine uh, for failure there. And it sounds more like Paul's talking about, look, you know that there were results when we came among you. And that's true because Paul did have amazing results as he preached the gospel and he saw the gospel take off there in Thessalonica. But really the word translated might, a little better translation I think is the idea of empty. He says that our visit to you did not prove to be empty. What Paul's saying is, is that there was a a qualitative value there. Why? Because he spoke truth. Truth was given. There was power because there was truth. I've been reading through the Gospels. Here it is the first of the year. love reading through the Bible every year and so I'm in the Gospels right now and it's just fun to read and I'm I'm struck how many times it is said about Jesus that he was not like the scribes and the Pharisees because he taught as one having authority. And you see that in Matthew chapter 7 verses 28 and 29 especially where the, the people sort of looking, Matthew writes in the commentary there, he says the people were amazed at what Jesus had to say coming off that beautiful sermon that we know was the Sermon on the Mount. But later in Matthew, Matthew 23, uh, uh, he also talks about issue uh, this issue, or, uh, this issue of, of Pharisees being people that say certain things, but they don't really live it out. And so one of the things about true leaders in transformational churches, good leaders, is that they are candid. They speak the truth. Not too long ago, somebody uh, after a service came to me and they said, "You know, I'm kind of new to this, this thing called faith. And I feel like for the first time, I feel like I'm getting the truth in my life. And every time I leave a service, I feel like God is just speaking to me, speaking to me, speaking to me about everything in my life. I feel like I'm getting the truth. And, and that to me was one of the best compliments I've heard about our ministry when that person said that. I said, wow, isn't that cool? You come out of a world that is full of lies and deception and deceit, but here is a place, this person was saying, where he finally felt like someone was telling him the truth. I think we get the point here. The point is is that candid leaders are not afraid of speaking the truth. And by the way, they know the the source of their authority, and that is not themselves. It is the word of God. It's not their own words. It's the word of God. And there's so much more that could be said there. But let's hop into the next point that I want to show you here in verse 2. Transformational churches not only have candid leaders, but they have courageous leaders. Courageous leaders. Um. I'm amazed by this little phrase because Paul says we had previously suffered and been insulted in Philippi. Remember I just told you that story. And he says, as you know, remember this, but with the help of our God we dared to tell you the gospel in spite of strong opposition. And I key in on that little word dare there in this context of courageous leadership. Because Paul's saying we dared to speak. We had the nerve, the guts to kind of go right back at it again. And that strikes me because I think of myself, frankly, as being kind of wimpy. And, and I, I've never been beaten for my faith. The closest thing I've ever had come to me, and this is a true story. It's, a, it's kind of an embarrassing story, but I, I need to tell you. Years ago, we had the Pastor Jake would tell us, go out into your neighborhoods and pass out these welcome to neighborhood church kind of packets. Remember those? Some of you remember, remember those packets we used to go out? Every summer we'd take out these packets. And I remember one day I was by myself I was over here in Castor Valley, not too far from my house, and I was going door to door, and I came to this door to leave this little welcome packet, and I could hear someone around the corner. There was a house that had a driveway that went to the back, so they were not home. I just said, well, I wonder if someone's here, so I looked in the driveway, and I could see the guy working in his garage. So I walked back to the garage where he is, and I go, sir, uh, my name is Larry. I'm from Neighborhood Church, and I hand him this flyer. And he looks at me with just this terror in his eyes. He grabs the flyer, wrinkles it up, and watch this. And this is so weird. He grabs me by my ear. (laughs) Big target. And he twists my ear, and he starts walking me down the driveway. Now, I feel so humiliated. I'm thinking, you know, should I, like, push away? I go, well, I don't want to lose my ear. He had a firm (laughs) grip on my ear. And so we're walking down the driveway, and I'm like, you know... And he gets to the end of the driveway and he takes the thing and he shreds it up and he throws it on the ground and he goes, get off my property, I hate Christians. And he was just, Aah. and I'm not kidding you, I was, Aah. I was freaking out. And then he just stood there like, what are you going to do? And I go, sir, I'm sorry you've had a bad experience. And i you know, like I can remember how high my voice was at this time. I'm sorry you've had a bad experience in the church. I was just petrified of this guy. And I remember walking away and I'm thinking, what? okay, the next house is right there. Like, is this guy gonna chase me down, tackle me from behind or something? But you know, the Spirit of God just said, just keep doing what you're doing. And I walked up to the door and I left the little thing. I'm shaking, you know, You know, putting the thing in. And I walk out of the drive. And, and to this day, I can't go down that street without thinking. I drive by my car and I get kind of nervous, you know. I think I read the book of Acts, and here the Apostle Paul was stripped and beaten and severely flogged. You know what that is? That's being whipped. And they said, you know, if you got whipped, you know, 39 times was the sort of the hardest, strongest punishment because at 40 lashings, it would kill a person. He, Paul was flogged severely, beaten and stripped, and he leaves that place, and he goes into the next village, and he dares to preach the gospel. I go, man, that's incredible. That's the kind of life I want to live, but I have to say, thats I don't know if I could. I would like to. I'd like to aspire to that. But I remember how scared I was that day with that silly and embarrassing situation. And, you know, I prayed for that guy ever since. You know, that was about 25 years ago. He was probably in his 50s. I was like 25. So I probably shouldn't be so scared now. He's like in his late 70s. I should probably go visit the guy. No. I, you know, but it, it even took me a while to just like pray for the guy. I mean, there was, there was like this agitation in my spirit. Okay, this is going way too long on that illustration. With the help of our God, we dared to tell you the gospel. We were courageous, Paul says. And you know this, Paul says. We're not afraid. We're not going to back down. We're going to keep doing what God's called us to do. Boldness and courage. And I'll tell you what, if you're going to be a leader in the church today, you've got to be bold and courageous. And one of the, it's not so much in the fighting sense. We're not dealing with people who are dragging us off and beating us and throwing us in prison. Although I've been to ch- countries where that happens with pastors. We heard just a couple of weeks ago, I've talked to pastors who have had that experience. It still happens in the world. But in our culture, that's probably not where we need to be courageous. In our culture, we have to be courageous to teach and preach the word of God. In our culture, we have to be courageous to not back down, to keep the standard of God's word in front of God's people in a culture that continually whittles it down and changes its meaning and redefines it and reshapes it. For our own desires, that's where the courage is demanded today. And I and I'm glad I can say in my own heart, that's where I'm up to the challenge. I feel very strong and convicted about teaching biblical truth and letting Christians see that this is what we ought to be following. And it doesn't matter what the culture is saying; it's God's word. I'll tell you what: you also need the tension or the the courage to stand in the tension of things uh, like where grace needs to lead the way where it's really easy to become legalists in today's uh, world. And there are church leaders that I think capitulate from being courageous and they take a stand that they feel is biblical, but it's really more preferential in nature. And so they're going to take a stand and be really hard-nosed about something that really has nothing to do with biblical Christianity, but more about preferences in Christianity. Things like styles of music, things like whether you should you know, could you, you know, have a glass of wine with dinner? Should you dance? I mean, silly stuff that a lot of churches just sort of draw the line and say, we can't do those kind of things. And if you do those things, you're, you know, you're a fleshy Christian. I think it takes courage to stand up and say, listen, what the Bible speaks, let's be clear, let's teach it. But if the Bible doesn't speak on that issue, if the Bible is silent on that issue, we need to leave, live in the tension, let people choose things and not be so wrapped up in our legalistic forms. All right, that, that's a whole other topic, but it's, it's huge. I think that's where courage needs to be seen too. Thirdly, transformational churches not only have candid leaders, courageous leaders, but they have clean leaders, clean leaders. Verse 3, um, he says, For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. Uh, Notice three things about what clean means to Paul. First of all, it means free from error. Uh, This is, uh, I think, a reference to doctrinal fidelity. Paul knew that doctrinal truth was important for good decision-making, for leading, for counseling, and for even character issues. Wherever you've got compromise in, in doctrine, you have compromise in all those other areas. Secondly, Paul's appeal did not spring from impure motives. I think uh, the NIV takes this a little too much here because there's really no word motive there. The idea is impurity, but the, what's behind it there is sort of the, the reason why we uh, carry out our ministry. Paul was familiar with all the people that came through. In Paul's day, uh, philosophers would travel around and they would use all kinds of uh, things to get people's attention, and Paul wanted them to know, and he knew they knew that his motive in being there was pure. There was a purity, and by the way, I think that spoke to his own character as well, because a lot of these traveling evangelists, as it were, in Paul's day, as it is today, sort of want to use people, and oftentimes that falls into the sexual area as well. Thirdly, he was clean because there was no sense of trickery or deceit that Paul used, uh, Paul didn't make some lofty promise based on some human scheme in order for people to follow the gospel. Paul was clear. In fact, he cut it so clear to the people, he was saying to them and in following Christ that you've got to leave your life behind. You have to repent from sin. You have to turn from sin. And that's why the people responded so favorably to the gospel is because it was clear. The clear gospel message was you've got to leave your life of sin and follow Jesus Christ. And sometimes I think in our culture, we kind of get, we, we lean so much on the grace part of the gospel that we forget that the gospel is good news insofar as we understand the bad news that we are sinners who are in need of a savior and we can't save ourselves. And that's where the good news becomes so beautiful. It's like, I'm lost, I'm separated from God, but God being rich in mercy has, has loved me this way. He loved me by sending his son, Jesus. Jesus. And so, um, you know, you can turn on your TVs today. You can watch those late night evangelists, and I've watched some of them, and I I don't want to mention a bunch of names, but there are a bunch of folks that come on our television sets, and they promise you that if you'll send a gift of X, uh, they'll send you some water that has special anointing power or a prayer cloth that, w- that they have touched and prayed over and it will bring you back tenfold and all. Listen, that stuff is so garbage. I mean, don't fall for that kind of chicanery. There are some of us who would be embarrassed to know that we support people who ply their wares with that kind of trickery. Now, I'm not ultimately the judge of any of those ministries, but I think that's sort of what Paul was referring to when he said, we didn't come with empty deceit, deceit or trickery. Leaders worthy of following are candid, courageous, clean. They are also, verse 4, commissioned. Verse 4, they are commissioned. On the contrary, we speak as men approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, we're not trying to please men, but God who tests our hearts. That little word approve there, if you want to underline it, in the Greek language, it's the idea of um, an assessor. It's the idea of, like if, I, if, if you showed me a, a, a cubic zirconia, zirconian diamond and a true diamond, I couldn't tell the difference. And frankly, when I look at that, sometimes I'm tempted. You know what I'm saying? Okay, let's, let's go off of that for a second. But anyway... So I can't tell the difference, but if you go to a a diamond seller or someone who understands diamonds and they get their little thing and they look at it, they can prove which is the diamond and which is the false, the lookalike. And this is what Paul's saying here. He says, we speak as men approved by God. In other words, we are the real deal. We are not fake. We are not charlatans. We are commissioned. We are entrusted by God approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. Listen, any leader worth following is one who knows his ministry comes from God. If you're following someone who is not sure that their ministry comes from God, you shouldn't follow him. You know why? Because that person is given to all kinds of inner contradiction, confusion, compromise, and oftentimes just their own flesh. You want to follow somebody that is is being led by the Spirit of the Living God who has commissioned that person, approved that person. And, and that's, that's a, a tricky deal. I, what I mean by tricky, that's, that's a delicate matter to go through. We ordain people in our church, and the ordination process certainly has a lot of academia behind it it's it's what you're learning and studying but when it comes down to that ordination council what we mean by ordination is that calling of God to public ministry one of the big issues is there in that meeting is how do you know God has really called you to ministry and it does become kind of subjective at that point But the person has to articulate that at at some point in their life, God put his hand on them and literally would not take his hand off but for them to go in a direction of, of church, public, vocational ministry. And usually when it comes to the ordaining process, we're talking about pastoral leaders there and all the qualities that follow them. And by the way, if you're taking notes, 1 Timothy 3, Titus chapter 1 deal with all the qualities of pastoral elders and what we are called to in the ministry and this is something that you as a church should be very familiar with and when you see your pastoral leaders you should be so acquainted with their calling with the calling that God not only on the calling God's placed on their life but the uh, effectual results of that calling that there is a sense of gospel anointing over that person's life. Because you're going to have all kinds of things in your life as a leader that's going to challenge that. People will challenge you. Media will challenge you. There'll be lots of things that people won't understand. They like to point little things out and then kind of blow them up. And all of us as leaders have had certain things. You've probably heard things about me that weren't true. I get phone calls from people sometimes that say, and usually they're things about health Larry, we heard that you've got cancer. Are you okay? I go, where did you hear that? Well, so-and-so told me that they they saw you recently and you look kind of thin and gaunt. And then they, you know, uh, the story just kind of goes. It's just kind of comical to me. People are talking about me. I think it's funny. Don't you have better things to do (laughs) in your life? But the point is, if you have a public ministry, people are going to talk about your life. And hopefully what Paul's saying here is what people need to know, and they should know it intuitively, is that person is is not only clean, courageous, candid, but they are commissioned. Number five, transformational churches have concerned leaders. Verses five and six. You know, here it is again, that we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for the praise of men, not from you or from anyone else. Notice is a noticeable absence of three things in a leader worth imitating, first, the absence of flattery. Flattery is using words in order to influence others for selfish reasons. I think leaders, good leaders, should be beautiful examples of encouragement. We should use encouraging words. You should always be thinking of ways of building up the body. But flattery is when you move from encouragement to trying to get people to do things for your own selfish gain. For what benefits you. For what makes your ministry better, stronger, greater, whatever. And so always stoking the fire, always stroking people's egos in order to sort of get something out of them. And that, Paul says, that's not what we're about. We're not about flattery, nor are we about greed. And we don't even mask greed. This is a picture of self-will. Leaders worth following have an absence of greed. They don't mask it. There's a sense of, of othersness or otherness first in their lives. Lastly, and this is, I think, the crowning attribute of a, of a concerned leader is that they're not so concerned with people, pleasing people. That's not the aim of their ministry. Their number one aim, their number one drive is to please the Lord God. And now Paul says, hey, look, we could have been a burden to you. We were apostles. We could have been a burden to you, but we didn't. We, we are truly, uh, we are men who have been, uh, who have a calling from God and it is filled with true concern, an absence of flattery, an absence of greed, and not people pleasers. And I've admitted to you before that one of the little weaknesses of my life as a pastor, since a little child growing up, I've had a a fear of people. And I've had to bring that before the Lord a bunch of times. And the Lord has really helped me with that. Um, in overcoming that by reminding me that he's the one I need to serve. And I just, at different little places in my life, he just sort of puts that exclamation point that I don't need to be worried so much about what people think of me or this ministry. No matter what comes down, the number one person that I need to be pleasing in my life is the Lord God. And if we're doing that with a right conscience, if I, at the end of my day, I can say, God, um, I'm I'm wanting to please you, no matter how things go here, I'm wanting to please you, then really no matter what happens here is, is up to God, isn't it? And I don't have to control that. I don't have to make that happen. So God's been certainly working in my life in that regard. And, and I, as you pray for your pastors, by the way, and leaders in the church, not just me, but any pastor, any leader in our church, these are the ways we should pray for them. We should pray for them to have candid lives, courageous lives, clean lives, commission lives, concern lives. And then sixthly, lastly, transformational churches have caring leaders. I know that might sound a lot like concern, but I see there's a couple of pictures here in this passage, verses 7 through 12, and we'll just kind of touch on these things as we wrap up here. But there's a picture of a mother and a father in this passage. Did you see that? It's interesting. We care like a mother and we, we comforted and encouraged like a father. And that's a beautiful picture because I think spiritual leadership is like being a mom and a, and a dad. It's carrying that mantle of, for some people who who need that tenderness and love like a mom, that that's who we are. We come alongside. We're tender. Leaders need to be tender. Uh, Leaders need to also come alongside with urging and appeal. And it's time to get straight and come on. I expect better of you. I expect more of you than what's going on in your life right now. And that's the way fathers are to be. Those are... Not stereotypical, but that's kind of a a picture that the Scripture gives to us in some of the character qualities of moms and dads. And this is what I see about caring. First, number, if you're taking notes, caring leaders are marked by personal touch. Look at this in verse 8. He says, We are gentle among you like a mother caring for her little children. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share not only the gospel but our own lives. In other words, there's a personal dimension of leadership that has to be in any leaders worthy of following. Now we have a church of a couple thousand people and I have to admit it's hard to feel like I can be personal with everybody. But I want to be. If I'm in the moment with that person, I want to be as personal as I can be. And 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 I know that there are some leaders that say they'll make statements like, "Look, I don't I don't you know, I don't do hospital visitation, or I don't, you'll never, there are some leaders that sort of distance themselves from the personal issues of people, and I realize there's a limitation, I'll probably get myself in trouble by saying this, but I want to be at every level as personal as I can be with people, and all of our pastors want the same desire in their lives. We want to be personal with people. I've kiddingly said at times, I know pastors who say, it's, I I love the ministry, it's people I can't stand, you know, and when I, I hear people kiddingly say that, I say, You know, that might be, you know, unveiling something a little bit more there because there are a lot of ministers, pastors who evidence that. They don't want to be around people. They don't want to be around the people that assemble in their church. They're sort of cloistered away and they come out of their little room and they show up and they preach and then they leave and nobody ever sees them, nobody ever talks to them. Uh, There's no personal dimension of their ministry. And all of our pastors want this and strive for this in our lives. Carrying leaders are marked by pulling their own weight also. Many leaders are lazy and they make everyone else work for them. Verse 9 says, look, um, surely you remember our toil and hardship. Remember last week we talked about work of faith and labors of love? Well, this is the same word toil there as labor. Same Greek word. It's the idea of working hard in ministry. And it's not the idea of just working in ministry. It's working. It's it's putting in, it's rolling up your sleeves and getting to work. And beware of pastors or any leaders who say, ah, that's not for me. I don't do that kind of stuff. I don't do that kind of work. That's not good leadership. Good leadership rolls up the sleeve. Now, good leaders can't do everything, and it's not a good stewardship if I'm only, you know, uh, cleaning it up after an event or do if that's all I do, that's not really good stewardship of the gifting God's given to me. I need to spend 15 hours plus a week in study of God's word. That limits me and takes me out of other things. But that's a priority for me because I know my spiritual gifting. And I need to follow my gifting just like all of our leaders need to follow their gifting. Some have stronger gifts of leadership than I have. Some have stronger gifts of administration. Some have stronger gifts of whatever. Uh, I have kind of a unique blend as a senior pastor. My strongest gifts are are teaching, uh, proclamation, I believe, sort of the teaching. Uh, The leadership gift is I share that. I have a beautiful staff that are wonderful leaders, and I lean into that with them. Uh, I have a strong gift of mercy, compassion. I also have a strong gift of serving. And if I were just, if I were here in the church and not a pastor of the church, I would be out as a greeter. I would be an usher. I'd be the guy, you know, cleaning up after. I'd be in the parking lot because I have a strong gifting in service. I love service. It's the way God's wired me up. But be careful about leaders who say statements like, I don't do that kind of work. If I said, look, I'm not really strong in leadership, so I don't do leadership. I would be finished as a pastor. I've got to do leadership. That's part of my role. That's a big part of my role that you depend on. And so I aspire to that. I learn from that. I read books. I get good leaders around me. And that's kind of a shared experience. But I aspire. So all of that to say, they pull their own weight. They work hard. They're not sort of leave it to everybody else's deal. Also, caring leaders are marked by their pious example and I, I'm just kind of going with the P letter there. I don't really like the word pious so much. But look at verse 10. It says, you're witnesses and so have, is God, how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you. Wow. Um, I mean, that, I think that takes some real strength to say, look, you know how holy, how blameless, how righteous we are around you. I mean, really? Wow. That's a strong person who knows their integrity before the Lord. And caring leaders also are marked by their paternal influence. I talked about the mom and dad here, but here the dad, encouraging, comforting, and spiritual support, appealing, urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. Well, there's a lot more. Wow, I wish, you know, sometimes I think sermons could turn into a seminar, and if I were doing this for pastors, we would go a lot deeper. But here's the deal. Before you just fold everything up and put it away, when those, when those things are clicked off in your mind, candid, courageous, clean, commission, concern, and caring, if those things don't readily sit with you to the pastoral leadership, me included, then you're, you really are not gonna contribute to becoming a transformational church because you got the wrong leaders in the church or you've got a wrong perspective of those leaders and if I'm not committed to those things and the other leaders who are listening to this message if we're not collectively committed to those things we will never see a transformational church we are on and in accountability to these things that's why his pastor would you pray for us because it's not easy And it's a huge challenge, but praise God, it's his calling, it's his love, it's his life in us and through us. And I'm not just talking to pastors, there are a lot of people today that are aspiring to leadership. I think this applies to any strata of those who are leading in our church. If you're in a small group, you're looking at that small group leader, those are qualities you should see. If you're in a volunteer area and your uplink isn't carrying out these kind of qualities, you need to... You need to do something about that. Go personally confront, talk to the person in love, share with them some things. You need to do that among any person in love that you feel like there's a failure to these things because this is what spiritual leaders are. All right. So, a little bit about me and my life this morning. (laughs) And uh, I hope that that's been an encouragement to you. I hope it'll give you a baseline of prayer. And I hope that in your heart, you say, yeah, that's the way our leaders are. Yeah, they can grow. Pastor Larry needs help. We need to pray for him. But every one of our leaders do too. And God is in control. Let's go to the Lord right now. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit that now takes these things and applies them to our hearts. And it's kind of hard. It's this unique dance, I guess it is, to talk about spiritual leadership and to see yourself in the throes of all of that, to be accountable to it, but also to aspire to it and... And I just thank you, Lord, for our church. I thank you for the freedom and the, the liberty this church has given our leaders, me included and maybe especially. And I pray, God, that you would just help us today to be mindful of these things. I pray, Lord, for anyone here today that does not have a relationship with you, that somehow in this message talking about daring to speak the gospel, that the gospel would have come through, that someone is ready today to say, Um, I need Jesus in my life. And if that's you, my friend, I'm gonna stop in my prayer for a moment. If that's you, open your heart and give Jesus your life right now. You'll never regret that that desire. If he's called you to follow him, then he's making it known to you now. Just simply believe and follow him. Maybe there's some of us here today that have not really been that committed to Neighborhood Church in terms of a ministry, its design, its philosophy, its, its vision. Maybe today somehow the Spirit of God would say, would you look around? Would you see the leaders? Would you see people that are giving their lives and throwing in to do all things for the glory of God and you need to be a part of that? Maybe some of you today need to say, that's me. I need to be more involved. I need to spread my life and my resources and my spiritual gifting to make this church a transformational church. Thank you, Jesus, for your love. Bless this time now in response. May you be pleased with what you hear and see in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to hear additional messages or you're interested in finding out more about Neighborhood Church, please visit our website at threecrosses.org. That's the number three, crosses.org.